Acts chapter 8. Saul was there giving approval to his death. And on that day, great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. And so there was great joy in that city. Let's pray together. Father, as we come before you this morning, we recognize our great need for you. And yet, the reality is we probably don't fully recognize how great we need you. Lord, we pray that you would help us in this country and in others. We pray for the elections that are coming. We pray that you would work your will. And that you would help us to pray no matter which way an election goes, that our responsibility is still to pray for those in authority. Lord, help us to fulfill the responsibility you want us to fulfill in that. We recognize as well, Lord, there are other needs in lives around us here. For some who have just heard some bad news physically. For others who have had deaths in their family, thinking even of of Jerry. Lord, I pray that you would be near to those who have walked in this place and the darkness may symbolize more of what's going on in their life than they really would like. But you are the light. And I pray that you would bring your light so clear this morning to us. Help us as we look at your word, as we look at um, our brothers and sisters all across this world that we would recognize not only what our responsibility is but what our reaction should be in our own life so Lord help me to speak this but in the things that we'll watch and all of this we pray that you would open us up to really get your message this morning loud and clear. And so we commit ourselves and say, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we think about Acts chapter 8, and obviously those of you who have your 
traditional Bible. It's going to be harder to see it this morning. Some of these I will just read and have for you there. The very first verse says this. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church. Stephen had just been martyred, stoned to death, while Saul stood there. And now comes this, after that horrible thing, now comes this great, this, this description of a great, literally, the word in the original language is megas. This great, this mega persecution that has come upon them. And in the midst of this, we read as we move on, godly men bury Stephen and mourn deeply for him. And again, that word deeply is that same word, megas. They were greatly, a great mourning that was taking place as great sadden. And yet they didn't have time to think so much about the sadness and what took place. They didn't have time to think about what was next because what was coming on them was this great persecution. In verse 3, we see Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house he dragged off men and women and putting put them in prison he didn't understand uh, the authorities were persecuting the church before this but really it was focused on just a few of the apostles and putting them in jail occasionally flogging them and telling them not to speak in jesus name but now all things have changed saul and the authorities stepped it up to men and women, not just apostles, but to everyone that called upon the name of Jesus. It was a whole new level. Stephen was not going to be the first one to die for his faith because now a great persecution had broke out. Now, see, we know this story. We, we know the story. We've heard about it in the early church, and we even think beyond this in the early church, and we think of the times of, uh, of the Roman Colosseums and the Christians being, quote, fed to the lions type of things. And we remember that, and we think about how horrible and how bad it was for those early Christians, and somehow we think that's what happened back then. But the fact is, this verse right here, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church. It has never stopped. On that day, great persecution broke out and it has continued to this day. We don't necessarily see it. And where we are at, but it is continuing. In fact, believe it or not, just based on pure numbers of Christians who are persecuted and dying for their faith, it is worse all over the world today within this last century than it was back in the days of those early Christians. These things in Acts chapter 8 that we just read, they're happening now and more. As mob came to their house, not just to drag them off and put them in jail, but to burn the house and everything in it and perhaps even everyone in it. There's a sense that today, this morning, we have gathered here in, in, in a darkness with the candles to try to get us uh, maybe a, a picture in our mind or just get us to think a little differently and be reminded about our brothers and sisters that have to secretly and quietly meet all around this world just to worship the Lord, to talk and hear His Word. For example, in North Korea, and we'll mention some examples from North Korea this morning because that's the number one greatest persecutor and has 
for, I believe, 17 years straight now, at least, in the list. So imagine this is what would happen in North Korea. You see, their gathering uh, to worship would not exactly be public and not as even with other people. If anything, it would just be with their family. And here's what would take place. Here's how often it would go. At midnight, when the two youngest children are sleeping, the parents would sneak out, dig up their Bible, bring it back inside. The curtains would be pulled and very, very softly. The husband reads to his wife and their 16-year-old son. You see, they've only recently shared the gospel with him because now he's old enough and wise enough to not accidentally betray them. Of course, he doesn't understand the gospel at first and what they're teaching him, but that's what they're trying to do. In fact, that's what they've been praying for for years, that he would be ready for this moment. As they read the Bible in the dark. As they pray words that are hardly audible. And if they're in a bold mood. in that night. They may sing. With just whispers. Do we really get. What a normal life of persecution is really all about. For many of our brothers and sisters. Let's watch this video to give us a better understanding of persecution. you maybe you'll be converted yeah <laughs> so they do a cut and then they ask, ask you recite, okay. recite from the Quran and if you couldn't they do another cut mm. Mm. I guess to remember how traumatized we were you know we were so scared from just leaving our house trust them to be humane. They were known for killing people, known for making people disappear, and known for permanently disabling people. The churches are destroyed. You cannot preach the gospel because your half of your members have run away. You can't even hold church. Because while you are in church, the church is surrounded by herdsmen, and everybody's gone down. How can you preach the gospel? It is impossible. She cried out and she said, Lord, help me. And then one of the soldiers came up and put a pistol in her mouth and said to her, I'll show you how God helps you. And he shot her through the mouth and blew out the side of her face. When he was shot from here, Felt here. This is the blood of that man until today. After shooting the guy at the, at the door, went to the pastor, and I started shooting those in front. Persecution exists behind an iron curtain erected by the press, 
And as a result, the church is largely asleep when it comes to persecution. We live in luxury while our brother and sister are suffering greatly. You know, the Father calls us to care for his broken body, to let justice roll down like water, to break every yoke and chain off of his body. Now, this is his call. This is his call to you and to me. So please, wake your brother and sister to obedience to care for the persecuted church. Our brothers and sisters all over the world going through this, we wonder, what can we do? How can we help? What do they say? And the number one thing that they want, the number one thing on their list, the number one thing they ask for most is prayer. Pray for us. Brother Andrew, who many of you may have heard of, connected with the persecuted church, says, Our prayers can go where we cannot. There are no borders, no prison walls, no doors that are closed to us when we pray. Why? Why do we pray? We pray, obviously, because that's what they need. But we pray as well as 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26 states, If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. They are a part of us. The brothers and sisters Men, women, and children in Christ facing what is just normal for their life. We pray because Hebrews chapter 13 verse 3 says, Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. And so as part of the message this morning, we're going to pray. Right here in just a few minutes, either on your own or with a person that is right next to you, or you can even gather together in little groups right, right around you. We're going to pray for the persecuted church because we believe that God answers prayer, although that sometimes that prayer needs to persevere, to persevere for people who need to persevere. Perhaps you've heard on the news as we think about this, you've heard on the news of the release on October 12th of Pastor Andrew Brunson. He'd been in Turkey since 2016 where he was falsely accused, not of a religious crime, but some other trumped-up charge. And he was put in a nightmarish kind of prison uh, with where his health deteriorated and, and attention was drawn upon him. He was in the news. And, and so they moved him to house arrest in July. But now, on October 12th, he was released in his back home. And we praise the Lord for answered prayers of someone who was in prison, their faith. Perhaps uh, those of you who have followed the persecuted church for a while will remember the name of Asia Bibi. Somebody we've been praying for for years. She was arrested in 2009 in Pakistan and falsely accused and yet convicted of blasphemy charges and sentenced to die. She'd been waiting for eight years for an appeal that was just continually delayed until just recently. And on October 31st, just not that many days ago, October 31st, Asia was freed from a Pakistani prison. She was freed because the Supreme Court ordered her release and stated that the prosecution had categorically failed to prove a case beyond a reasonable doubt. But it took nine years. She's done nothing wrong except other than being a Christian. Not even as a Christian did she say or do the things that they said. Nine years 
of praying. And yet, while the Supreme Court was doing this and, and, and going through the judgment, what they were going to do, Islamic extremist mobs were formed in this 96% Muslim country. They were calling for her death. You see signs there even, just calling for her death. And now that the, the courts won't do it, Asia and her family are still in danger. But it's not just Asia and her family because now the Christians in Pakistan all over are on high alert and, and are, are very concerned because of the danger of widespread persecution breaking out with attacks happening on homes and churches now as the mobs have been stirred up. Even now, certain offices and schools are closed just because of the fear of what could happen. So we praise God for the answer for her release after all these years, and yet we still need to pray. Why pray? I'm going to show you some statistics on a uh, PowerPoint up here, and then following that will come a video from a North Korean Christian we'll call Heiwoo. That's not her real name to protect her. But she has a story that's similar to the 50, since we can't really know in there, it can be anywhere from 50 to 220,000 Christians in prison camps and detention centers in North Korea. just want to encourage you to open your hearts and your minds and to listen. And then after that video, we'll come back and I'm going to direct some prayers. We're not going to spend a lot of time praying this morning, but just to get the engine of prayer going, so to speak, and then we carry it on. Uh, You have some requests that are in your bulletins. Those aren't the ones we're going to do. Don't worry about having to read those. Those you can take home. There'll be ones we'll put up on the screen and then we'll move to another one and another one as we pray together this morning, just over a brief time. And then we'll come back to God's word and finish out what we started here in Acts chapter 8. Let's go to prayer. Those with you, around you. Begin to pray for Christians around the world who are imprisoned for their faith. Let's go ahead and begin. And in just not too many seconds, we'll move on to the next one. But just to kind of direct this, we won't. There are 10 of these. We're not going to be able to get through all of them. But let's just begin. Pray, pray with people around you. Pray that God will strengthen, protect, and encourage them. Pray for God's protection of pastors and evangelists who share the gospel in these hostile places. Pray for provision and encouragement of Christians whose family members were killed living out their faith in Christ many of them the husbands, the breadwinners, so to speak, they've got nothing nowhere no one pray that government officials in hostile and restrictive nations would come to know Jesus Christ and follow his will for their lives Pray for Christian converts, especially from Islam, who must decide when and how to tell their family and friends that they are followers of Jesus. Pray that persecuted Christians will boldly witness for him even to their persecutors. 
pray that Christians and free nations will choose to stand with their persecuted brothers and sisters. Here's a further story, Haru. 70 years old, and hands down, one of the most energetic people I've ever met. But Haywoo's life has been full of trauma. In 1997, in the midst of a great famine in North Korea, Haywoo's daughter, in her mid-twenties, starved to death in her own home. Haywoo's husband escaped to China. He found God. But sadly, he was caught by the secret police. And six months later, he died in a North Korean prison camp. Haywoo said to me, I was shocked to hear that my husband had become a Christian. But instinctively, I knew that he had found the truth. It wasn't too long after this that Hei Wu herself escaped to China and, like her husband, through a series of events, became a Christian. Hei Wu was caught by the secret police. She was repatriated to North Korea and placed into a prison camp. As I spent time talking with Hei Wu about life in these prisons, death so rampant, that bodies would lay on the ground for three or four days without being cleaned up. Stories of mental and physical abuse that would make you sick to the pit of your stomach. I couldn't help but wonder, what is it about people like Hei Wu that, that makes them risk everything for the privilege of being in a relationship with Jesus? But more than that, what would I risk for the same privilege? You see, in the middle of one of the darkest places on earth, Heiwu chooses to do something so radical, so dangerous, and so Christ-like. She said to me that in the middle of this prison, God gave her a heart to evangelize, to tell my fellow prisoners about Jesus. And so right here in the middle of a North Korean labor camp, a secret fellowship, a secret church begins. You know, I was recently asked one of those questions that stays with you for weeks, one of those questions that kind of reverberates around your mind and captures your every thought. You see, someone asked me, if Jesus Christ walked the earth today, would you follow him? You see, Jesus Christ was radical. The way he spoke, the way he taught, every single thing he did was radical. But absolutely incredible. You know, this idea of this smiling, happy Jesus that kind of, it gives you everything, but calls you to nothing. It just doesn't sit right. It's stories like Hei Wu and, and other people who are regularly persecuted for their faith 
that brings a perspective unlike anything else. People who obediently, selflessly and courageously follow Jesus. Heiwu had a church in a place so putrid that no one dare go near them. Inside a prison, where if caught, you would be tortured and killed without exception. You see, we serve Jesus Christ, the saviour of the world, and a radical. And our response to that should be to uncompromisingly, unashamedly, and passionately follow him, whatever the cost. As we go back to our passage, we recognize, and and just for the sake of time, verses 48, if you just look at it, it describes some wonderful things happening. In verses 48, if we were to just read those verses by themselves, we think, wow, the church got scattered, they preached it, they uh, was able to... Philip proclaiming the Messiah. People wanted to listen. There were those who were, uh, demons were being cast out. People were getting healed. And the last verse, last part of that verse was, and there was great joy in that city. And and that's the way we want to live our lives. That's what we want to see. So we say, why don't we see the miracles? Why don't we see people listening? Why don't we see the great joy? And yet we got to understand that this great joy in the city that happened only happened because there was great persecution that led to that great joy. And all the stuff that was going on and all the people that were coming to Christ and knowing and healing and all those things that were happening, even though there was great joy, it did not change. Suddenly, in verse 4, it didn't suddenly become good for the church. Great persecution was still going on, and yet there was great joy. Why is it we struggle so much here? even to find that. When we look at our brothers and sisters in chains all around the world, they're not praying for their own deliverance and that they just wouldn't have to face all this because they know that what's happening to them is a normal Christian life. Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me Uh, more than that. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you falsely, say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It could be a time of great joy and great persecution at the same time. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. This is what's normal. First uh, Thessalonians, so that no one will be unsettled by these trials, for you know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, we were with you. We kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out as well. That's what happened, as you well know. 
You see, when we think about a normal Christian life here, having great joy in the midst of persecution, great persecution just doesn't seem normal to us. But part of that is because for so many Christians here in the United States, they're they're just hanging on. It's so hard to be a Christian. Trying to live life here, it, it just doesn't seem the way my life is going and what's happening in my life just doesn't seem like that's the way it's supposed to be. God is making it difficult for me. It doesn't seem like this is the way a normal Christian life should go. I'm struggling. I've got this. I've got that. I've got this problem. And then we look at our brothers and sisters and what they're going through. For some, it is very difficult to handle uh, suffering through any kind of fire here when all we really wanted was just a fire escape from hell and not really to follow Jesus. And we end up missing the joy that our brothers and sisters who are facing so much worse and experiencing it with great joy. From the very beginning, that's the way it was. The apostles, as they uh, were jailed and they were flogged and they were ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 5, verse 40 says, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer the disgrace for the name. How about us? And for some reason, we can't put two and two together. That our following Jesus means that we walk where he walked. And where did he walk? He walked the way of the cross. We see that in the communion elements here. Jesus made very clear the light of the path that we're to walk. But instead, we think here being a good Christian, being a follower of Jesus means living a good moral life, occasionally having to sacrifice getting up early on a Sunday morning and maybe even having to suffer through and sit through a service that goes past noon. Some would even say, well, you know, people can't handle it that long. Why is it we hear of so many Christians here in the United States that can't wait to get out of their worship service and yet on the other hand we hear of our brothers and sisters that are literally dying just to have an opportunity to worship, just to hear the word in some way. Just one. We read in Revelation chapter 12 that they did not love their own lives so much as to shrink from death. Is that normal for us here? Sure, there are many of us who would say we're willing to die physically for Jesus. If suddenly the situation came up and you were faced with it right in front of you, you would be willing to lose your life. But are you willing to lose your way of living? Our comfortable life, our life of hobbies, our activities, our busyness, our extras, our family. So many have trouble just giving up a Sunday morning to come to a worship service, let alone giving up their life. They're living the way they want, the comfortable, the safe. What is a normal Christian life? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And I think when we see our brothers and sisters in Christ, we get a little better understanding of Jesus' words that he said, what it meant to follow him in Luke 9 and in a number of other places he says this. He said to them all, 
Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. These are Jesus' words for us. If you're going to follow me, you must carry your cross. You cannot be disciple, my disciple otherwise. It's all the way or not at all. A.W. Tozer says we must do something about the cross. One of two things only we can do. Flee it or die upon it. Just like what was said in that last video. There are those who want a Jesus that will give them everything but call them to nothing. But that's not our Jesus. Our Jesus is the one who says what's on the front of your bulletins. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This cross life is what we're reminded of each time we come before communion. May this not just be done in some religious kind of way. May we recognize that the bread symbolizes his body. We talk about that, but think about what happened, what that meant going to that cross The cup is blood that was shed. The commitment that he asks of us. There's nothing that we could ever do that will pay for our sins. It's not that we have to go there to somehow pay for something. It's because we're following. And you can only imagine what would happen if we truly took up our cross. That we truly understood these elements that we're taking this morning. And we began to live even partly like our brothers and sisters around this world, how it would change this world, this community.